Back to the Future Imperils Britain, March the 26th, 2010. Since the general election of May 1979, just under 31 years ago, the UK has had just one change of power in 1997 and two dominant politicians, Margaret Thatcher, Prime Minister from 1979 to 1990, and Tony Blair, Prime Minister from 1997 to 2007. The era that these charismatic politicians defined is now over. That is the biggest lesson to draw from the budget delivered by Alistair Darling, Chancellor of the Exchequer. What lies ahead is an era of harsh choices. Is there a politician to create something uplifting out of this brutal disappointment? Mr Darling is not that man, nor is Golden Brown Prime Minister, nor, so far as I can see, is David Cameron his Tory challenger. What stretches ahead, then, is an epoch of diminished expectations. Mrs now Baroness Thatcher started from her conviction that she had to stop the UK's relative decline. She broke the power of the unions, curbed inflation, shrank the state, privatised public enterprises and increased reliance on markets. Mr Blair then accepted this legacy and after his first term lavished the proceeds of growth on public services. The financial and economic crisis has inflicted huge damage on the legacies of both of these leaders. But in response, politics is going backwards. It must go forwards instead. Thatcherism's economic legacy was striking. According to the budget, between 1997 and 2006, business services generated 40% of the growth of the British economy and financial intermediation close to 13%. The contribution of expanded production was close to zero. That, of course, was the outcome of the market itself. The UK economy also expanded faster than those of other big European countries. Thus growth seemed satisfactory and sustainable. Now, after the crisis in finance, the very heart of the market system, such confidence in markets has vanished from the public, the government, and even the Tory front benches. And symptomatic of the market's failure is the debt hangover, brilliantly analysed by the Bank of England's Andrew Haldane. If the crisis has struck at the foundations of Thatcherism, it has struck at least as hard at those of Blairism, that the assumption that the economy would automatically generate the revenue needed to expand the public sector has proved as false as the assumption that the market would automatically generate stable and sustainable prosperity. Indeed, these are, in essence, the same underlying assumption about the economy. So what are the narrative that the big political parties now offer? Their shared answer is clear. Since you, the voters, do not want to hear the truth, we will not force you to do so. In addition, says Labour, we shall load taxes we need to replace the lost revenue onto people who do not vote for us. Put as much as possible of the unexpected losses four years of vanished growth of gross domestic product, plus the collapse in revenue buoyancy, onto opponents. That is at least politically rational. Beyond that, Labour has become far more openly and confidently interventionist, with a long list of small schemes. 
It is, if not precisely old labour, definitely not new either. Yet however much labour may wish to hide the grim fact, if it wins the election, it will be taking a torch to public spending. As Robert Choate, director of the Institute for Fiscal Studies, stated on Thursday, and I quote, the government expects public spending in total to be broadly flat in real terms over the four years beyond 2010 to 11. Making plausible assumptions, Whitehall spending on public services and administration would need to fall by an average of 3.1% a year over those four years, a cumulative decline of 11.9% or £46 billion in real terms by 2014-15. This implies cuts averaging between 5.3% a year and 7.1% in the areas that the government is not planning to protect in 2011-12 and 2012-13. End of quote. This then will be Labour versus the public sector, a political bloodbath. If Labour were to win, therefore, it will be in a battle as big as that between the government and public sector unions between 1976 and 1979. Yet the Conservatives, now shorn of Thatcherite verities, are in no more comfortable position. They pretend their fiscal policies will be quite different from Labour's, but according to the IFS, the differential tightening might be as little as 0.6% of GDP by 2015-16. In the context of the overall calamity, that is much ado about nothing. Apart from that, the Conservative big ideas seem to be time for a change and born to rule. And this, too, would take the UK back to the pre-Thatcher political era. So the crisis marks an end of an epoch, economically and politically, and the big parties are simply at a loss over how to respond. But apart from recognising and reacting to the crisis, which could, under quite plausible assumptions about future economic growth, require still more radical decisions on the public finances than anybody now wants to contemplate, their leaders have to find something more inspiring than an offer of years of austerity and disillusion. The party that deserves to win must craft a narrative and policy that creates opportunity out of disappointment. Competence is required, as is toughness, But the UK needs more than these qualities. It needs the vision thing as well. I plan to discuss some of these challenges as this pivotal election draws nearer.